First Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 19. This is God's word. This is Paul speaking. For though I am free from all, I have uh, made myself a servant to all, that I might wear, uh, win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being uh, myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I, may, uh, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the, uh, for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. This is God's word, and we thank him for it. Folks, uh, just before we come to God's word, we're going to pray and ask him for his blessing. Let us pray. Lord, this day as we come to your word, we thank you for it. We thank you that the gospel is good news for all people. And Lord, we pray that we would receive your word and that we would act upon it. Lord, we pray too for the kids and the teachers out in the children's church. We thank you for them. And Lord, we pray, as we prayed earlier, that there would never be a day where they don't know the Lord Jesus as their friend and saviour. Lord, bless them. In Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Friends, there's many things that I love about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's a few of them. I'm sure many of you will share these as well. I love how it gives us the assurance that if our faith's in the Lord Jesus, that all of our sin has been forgiven. All of the wrongdoing, all of the sin that we've ever committed has been forgiven if our faith is in the Lord Jesus. I love how it gives us the certainty of God's love. As we think, uh, Jesus, uh, we see that very clearly on the cross, Jesus died for our sin, because God loves us. We read how God so loved the world that he sent a son to die for our sin. I love how it gives us the promise that heaven is indeed real. It's not just a fictional place. It's not just a place of uh, warm thoughts and feelings, but it's a real place. Heaven is real. I love how it says that our only way to get there is not through what we do, as if we were trying to build up credit with God, but that the only way that we can get to heaven is by grace through the forgiveness of our sin, through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that in that, we have the certainty, the guarantee, that we will go to heaven when we die. Friends, all of those are reasons why we should all embrace the gospel for ourselves, why we should have our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, why it is indeed good news that we talk about. But friends, there's something very important that I think we can all fall into the trap of forgetting. And it's the fact that the good news is not good news just for certain kinds of people. Friends, the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sin, that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin, is good news for everyone, for all people. Whoever you are, whatever you do, however you spend your days, The fact that Jesus Christ died for our sin is good news. Whatever area somebody's from, whatever background they're from, however they might identify politically, whatever their race or religion, whatever else. Friends, the good news of Jesus Christ is good news for everybody. And the good news of Jesus Christ is indeed good news because it tells us the truth that the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life to die on a cross to forgive us our sin. Friends, by believing that personally, that is good news for each one of us sitting here. Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, 
that anyone, that's a great word, anyone who is in Christ, really whose faith is in Christ, is a new creation. God doesn't just leave us as we are. Instead, God continues to work in us to make us more like Christ. Friends, if we believe that Christ died for our sin, all of our sin is forgiven. All of our sin. Whether it's sexual sin or religious sin or stealing or whatever else. Friends, all of our sin is forgiven in Christ. But friends, many Christians and churches do something, I think probably without even thinking about it. Because they do something shocking to this good news. And in all honesty, I think it's probably something that we're all guilty of to an extent. Because it's very easy for evangelical Christians like ourselves to take this good news, and while we would never, ever, ever, ever add anything to it, I mean, nobody here, I don't think, is ever going to say that we're saved by faith and works. But it can be very easy to take the gospel, this good news, and kind of just wrap it up in other things that by their very nature make other people think that it's not good news for them. For example, there are some folk who take the good news and wrap it up in a kind of moralism where we perhaps think that we are better than other people because we don't smoke or get drunk or use questionable language. The fact is, however, that nobody is better than anyone else. Our sins may be different than other people. Rather than falling out of a pub drunk on a Friday night, we may harbour hatred in our hearts or we may love gossip. But friends... These things are not better than other sins. As I've said on several occasions, in my experience, it's gossip that wrecks churches. It's hatred that wrecks churches. Do you know how many churches I've seen split because somebody came out of a pub who professes nothing on a Friday night? None. I haven't seen one church split because of that. I have, however, seen numerous churches split because of the gossip and hatred Uh, committed by their leaders and by their members. Yet weirdly, friends, it's folks who engage in those kind of sins who quite happily look down their nose at folk like Joe Bloggs. I mean, it's difficult to be looking up to heaven if we're looking down our noses at other people. So friends, moralism is something that so many Christians wrap the gospel up in to make other people think it's not really for them. Folks, the gospel is good news for folk who are falling out of pubs on a Friday night. We know that. But folks, there's loads of examples that can extend to virtually anything. For example, one thing in Northern Ireland, many churches seem to take the good news of Jesus Christ, who came to die for sin, and wrap it up in some kind of political identity. Therefore, many people are led to believe that the good news that Jesus Christ died for sin is actually something more to do with who you vote for and what flag you stand under. Now, friends, there's absolutely nothing wrong whatsoever with being a passionate unionist and loving the union flag. Nothing. It's a good thing to be passionate about your country. But, friends, it has nothing whatsoever to do with the good news that Jesus Christ died to save sinners. Yet, very often, politics is something that uh, wraps up the gospel. And sadly, it hides it from other people. On the other hand, there's other churches who care nothing for politics. You'll never see a flag or hear an anthem sang, but yet are guilty of requiring people to wear certain clothes or use certain Bible translations and other man-made traditions. Again, wrapping the gospel up in clothing and language. 
things that have absolutely nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of us, I'm sure, are familiar with contemporary churches who look down on people who wear a suit and a a tie to worship and read from the KJV because they wrongly associate those things with some kind of dead spiritual traditionalism. On the other hand, I'm sure we're familiar with more traditional churches who look down on people who attend worship wearing more casual clothes and read the NIV because they associate it with worldliness or a somehow lesser degree of spirituality. Now, my opinion, I'm sure you care what I think, both of those views are as ridiculous as each other because Scripture does not consider any of those things as part of the good news that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Yet many folk wrap up the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, in traditions, culture, things that have absolutely nothing to do with anything other than our own preferences. Friends, last week, you might remember, hope you remember, how we thought about how various groups uh, pervert the gospel. They add on to the gospel by twisting it. But this week, we're warned that even if we do have the true gospel, that we are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Friends, we're warned that it is so critical that we don't wrap it up in anything, that we end up hiding it from other people. The Bible uses a very specific phrase to describe the various things that people use to wrap up the good news, to hide it from others. The Bible calls them stumbling blocks. A stumbling block is something that is absolutely unnecessary, but yet makes it impossible, or more difficult at least, for people who need Christ to hear or come to Christ. And on several occasions, Scripture warns us in the strongest language not to have anything to do with stumbling blocks. In Romans 14, 13, Paul reminds us, do not put a stumbling block before your brother or sister. Yet, we inadvertently do so. Over COVID, we did joint driving services up in the car park here because we have a very good car park. There were several folk who I spoke to afterwards who quite liked them, simply because they wouldn't usually come to church because they didn't have the time, apparently, to change into church clothes, but were quite happy to sit in their car wearing what they term normal clothes. However much of an excuse that is, I don't know. But friends, at the same time, how does a church culture that makes a certain style of dress, I mean, clothes are its material, cut and sewn, It's really pointless, isn't it? Not clothing, but styles. Friends, how does a church culture that makes a certain style of dress a prerequisite for attending worship serve the gospel of Jesus Christ? It doesn't. Yet, for whatever reason, an unbiblical, man-made dress code somehow has become a stumbling block for people to be in this building. Another woman, not here, not attached to this church, had, uh, now she did have medical issues with her feet, but she told me that the reason that she hadn't been to church in several weeks was because she couldn't get her feet into formal shoes. She could only wear runners. And I quote, real Christians don't wear runners to church. Friends, what a lot of garbage. We have somehow managed to take the good news that on the cross, God himself entered human history, took on flesh, went through hell on the cross. The wrath of God poured out on him on the cross 
to forgive our sin and turn it into something a bit material wrapped around your feet. Friends, Christ cares far more about the man in the suit than the suit on the man. So would it not be wise to follow that lead? Friends, those are maybe kind of daft examples to many of you, but there's something far more serious that is facing this country and conservative churches in the next five or ten years. Because we are now living in a country where politically, at least, we are running towards a Republican or a nationalist majority. Friends, if people from that background believe that the good news that Jesus Christ came into this world to die for sin, if people from that background believe that that is only applicable to people from a unionist or loyalist background, and so believe that it's nothing to do with them, it's not good news for them, we have somehow managed to create a stumbling block. These are things that we can wrap the gospel up in and use it to put off other people from coming. And if you don't think it's an obstacle, I suggest you speak to some folk. It is an obstacle. Now again, these are the kinds of things that frankly would be far easier not to speak about from a pulpit because to some degree they necessitate that we change or that we at least think about these things. This sermon, I don't think, is going to win me any more friends. Friends, it would be far easier to preach that all of our problems are out there beyond the walls, that it's to do with society, it's to do with what's going on uh, with society and liberalism and all this. But friends, the reason that I want us to think and really think seriously about these kinds of things is because they're important to Jesus. Jesus speaks in the strongest terms about not engaging or putting down stumbling blocks. He says in Matthew 18, 7, Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. It's inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the person through whom the stumbling block comes. Friends, if the world in all of its sin gives people reasons not to attend to the things of God, not to attend to the truth that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, How much more important is it that the church, the church, Christ's body on earth, the church should not introduce more stumbling blocks that keeps more folk from embracing the gospel for themselves? Friends, if people reject the gospel because we've wrapped it up in traditions and self-righteous nonsense, Jesus hates that. Jesus Christ hates that. Now, folks, that does not mean that we are to compromise on the gospel. We are not to create a so-called new gospel that promises health, wealth, and prosperity. We are not to ignore what the Bible says very clearly about ethical issues or controversial issues like hell or whatever else to make it more palatable to the lost. We are not to add stuff to the gospel that requires more than faith alone and Christ alone for salvation. But, friends, neither are we to wrap the gospel up in anything. If we are laying down anything as a stumbling block for people coming to the Lord, Scripture says that we are guilty of a great sin. So how are Christians to think about these kinds of things? Well, what do we see in our reading from 1 Corinthians 9? 
Well, we find really how Christians, how believers, are to relate to non-believers, both within and outside their culture. We find that Paul refuses to entertain any idea whatsoever of putting down stumbling blocks before anyone. We see that in verses 20 to 22, where he splits uh, into four groups of people. He talks about Jews, about those under the law, those outside the law, and the weak. The reason he uses those four groups is as illustrations. He means people of any ethnicity, of any religion, of any nationality, and even those of a very low, weak, worthless, perceived as worthless, social class. Because Paul's desire is to meet each one of them where they're at. And how he does that is he enters their world to build a relationship with them for the sake of the gospel. And in doing so, he rejects stumbling blocks like bigotry or sectarianism. Why? Because we are all made in the image of God. We all matter to God. That's why he says in Romans 1, 14 and 16, I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to the uncultured, both to the wise and to the foolish. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to all people. He says there that he's obligated to share the gospel with them because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Regardless of politics, background, ethnicity, whatever else, everybody needs the gospel. Friends, is that something that we actually believe? Do we take Christ's word seriously? Friends, I could not imagine for a moment Paul putting an Irish tricolor on top of a bonfire to celebrate a Protestant festival, thereby giving people who identify with that flag, rightly or wrongly, the very real impression that they are despised by people who claim to celebrate a festival relating to God's word, the Reformation. Friends, I could, however, hear him say to the Republicans, I became as a Republican. Not because he agrees with them. That's a political issue. It's not a theological issue. But regardless, it's so in order that he would win some. That's what he says, really, from the middle of verse 22. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Now, Paul's not exercising his right to that. You may have the right to burn a flag. I don't know. I'm not sure what the law is on that. don't really care. But friends, he's free to do that because he is secure in his identity in Christ. Not in politics or religion, but in Christ. And why does he do it? Well, it's not so people like him. He's not compromising the gospel so he can win friends. He's not compromising the gospel so he can get his congregation to buy him a $64 million jet, as we thought of last week. It is simply so he's able to share the good news, the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for sinners and win them to Christ. What do we read in verse 23? I do it all for the sake of making friends. I do it all for the sake of money. Or I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them and its blessings. Friends, Paul's greatest desire is that folk from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue, these four groups of folk, would share in the blessings of being saved, of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. That in them becoming Christians, he would be able to share in those blessings of being saved with them. 
It's not a call to compromise the gospel. We're not compromising the gospel by making friends. You don't compromise the gospel. Paul never compromised the gospel. That's what Galatians is about. Because if you compromise the gospel, if you leave the gospel out of the equation, or if you put a stumbling block before the gospel, you leave it the very thing that is the power of God to everyone who believes. If you don't have the gospel, you don't have the power of God for salvation. But if you wrap the gospel up in sectarianism or bigotry or whatever else, friends, you're doing something just as bad as compromising the gospel because you are doing violence to the kingdom of heaven by laying a stumbling block before, uh, before the gospel. You know, friends, a Republican's greatest need is not to become a unionist. That may be a shock to some folk. A Muslim's greatest need is not to become more integrated into UK society. A transgender person's greatest need is not to identify with their biological sex. A unionist's greatest need is not to see the reinstitution of the British Empire. Friends, everyone's greatest need, everybody sitting here, everybody standing here, everybody outside the doors, everyone, is to know Jesus Christ as their saviour from sin. And if we put a stumbling block before anybody for that reason, be it tradition, culture, flags, preference, whatever, or even if we fail to think about these things because we don't want to move beyond the excuse, well, this is how we've always done things. Friends, Paul did it for the sake of the lost, for the sake of the gospel. He did not do it for the sake of a flag, denomination, loyal order, X, Y, or Z, whatever. He did it for the sake of the truth that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world to save sinners, of whom we are foremost. Friends, Christ is either Lord or he's not. We are either his servants or we're not. But friends, as he asks his followers himself, why would we call him Lord and refuse to do what he says. Why would, we, why would we call him Lord and refuse to think about what he says, about stumbling blocks? Friends, the gospel is free, the gospel is great, and the gospel is to be heard. So friends, take the warning seriously. Woe to us if we put a stumbling block before the gospel. Let us pray. Lord, this day we thank you for the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we are saved through faith alone in Christ alone, and no one and nothing else can save us. Lord, we do pray for so many folks across this land who have heard nothing of that because they perceive the gospel to be something that is not for them. Lord, we do pray for uh, various groups, various mission organizations, various Christians who are serious about taking the gospel beyond the Uh, Protestant enclaves. Lord, as we'll hear about uh, in the middle of of March, about the work going on in West Belfast and across Ireland, Lord, we do pray that wherever your gospel is preached, that it would be met with fruitfulness, that it wouldn't be met with hard-heartedness or rejection. Indeed, Lord, even among our own church, our own uh, denomination, that it would not be met with hardness or rejection but that we would bow the knee and humbly think 
of the great grace that you have shown to even us. Lord, we thank you for saving us. Lord, we pray that we would extend that same grace to others. Lord, bless your folks here in Carnalbany. We thank you for them. Lord, we do pray that we would think about these things, even throughout this week and in the months ahead. Lord, bless us in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.